I just thank you that you've been declaring today that lies will be exposed and rejected and truth will be revealed and embraced. And we choose to agree with that personally. When we recognize the lies that Holy Spirit is revealing to us, we will reject them and embrace the truth that you are revealing to us. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've made available for us to embrace you, your truth, your word, your kingdom. We are not content with being just good people, but we are pursuing everything that you have in store for us. We choose to walk out the plan, the purposes. We choose to advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We love you, Jesus. It's not about watching out for the do's and don'ts, but it's about glorifying Jesus. And that's what we choose to do. That's how we choose to live. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a few times that I'm anxious to preach where I just couldn't wait to, to start, and this is one of those times. I'm excited. Today's message will be, will be an equipping message. It's one of those messages that if you embrace, it will dramatically change your life. I firmly believe that. And the thing that keeps rolling around in my spirit is that lies will be exposed today and rejected, and truth will be revealed and embraced. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. That when the Holy Spirit reveals lies that you've been basing um, certain thoughts and beliefs on, when those lies are exposed, say, Holy Spirit, Lord, I reject these lies and embrace the truth in its place. Amen? The, the title for the sermon is Your Words Are Extremely Powerful. Your words, the words that you speak, are extremely powerful, for good or for bad. And I want to ask you this question. What is your self-talk like? What is your self-talk like? Now, for those of you who may not understand what self-talk is, that's when you talk to self. When you talk to yourself. And you know, a scientist or psychologist or whoever, they say that we all engage in self-talk. But some of us maybe talk out loud. Some of us are more quiet about it. But we all engage in self-talk. And that's when we talk to ourselves. You know, you stupid idiot. I can't believe you did that again. You're never going to amount to anything. See, I knew I couldn't keep that job. I knew I was going to lose that relationship. I can't do anything right. You know, things like that. When you make a mistake, calling yourself names, belittling yourself. What is your self-talk like? Because your talk, your self-talk, is directing your path. Let me say that again. Your self-talk is not maybe, not it might. It is directing your path. So if your self-talk about yourself is negative, then guess where you're going. Now, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about going to heaven or hell. We're just talking about you walking out the purposes and plans of God in your life here. 
We're talking about you being successful, you fulfilling everything that Jesus has died for, for you to fulfill. So what is your self-talk like? You know, I remember one time, uh, it was at the last Olympics. I guess that'd be, what, 2012? Um, I was watching the, the weightlifting. You know, these little people that are about four foot nothing and are lifting 1,000 pounds, or it seems like it, just lifting all this crazy weight. And I remember this lady, and, and she was just, just a massive little beast, <laughs> real small, but she was lifting a lot of weight. And before she was about to lift the weight, uh, the camera was showing her face, and she was talking. She was talking to herself. And I'm sure she wasn't saying, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I was thinking in entering this event. I can't lift this much weight. What was I thinking? You idiot. I'm sure that's not what she was saying. Although I don't know what she was saying. She was probably saying, girl, you got this. This is what you've trained for. This is the moment you've been waiting for. I've lifted, I've lifted this much weight dozens and dozens of times. I got this. Because she did lift the weight over her head. She accomplished the task. Now, I didn't watch enough of it to know who placed, you know, as far as medals and everything like that, but I was, because I was preaching a sermon on this very thing, and I just happened to notice that, that she was engaging in self-talk. And that's something that we do all the time. And I want to bring it to your attention because it is extremely important. It does shape your future. You know, too many of us Christians or churchgoers are at best just surviving and trying to just be good people. You know, we are, our, our church life is like, I really appreciate church because it gets me through the week. In other words, you come and you have a wonderful experience, which is, which is okay, having a wonderful time in its presence. Hopefully the word was encouraging to you. But that is what you use to get you through the week. And if that's how your relationship with God is, that's not, that's not what he intended. You know, coming to church should be a time of equipping, encouragement, and reminding you of who you are and where you get to go, who you belong to, so that through the week, you're walking with him, drawing close to him, listening to him, hearing him, being built up by him, and exalting him with your lifestyle. It can't be about just going to church, just getting by, just surviving, making it another week. He didn't call us to be survivors. He called us to be overcomers. He didn't call us to be victims. He called us to be victorious. And then this doesn't negate the, the, the horrible or the negative circumstances that you've endured or been through. This isn't about ignoring that and pretending like it didn't happen. But this is about embracing real grace from a real king and savior so that we can overcome the things that have happened to us before. So that we can walk powerfully in forgiveness towards those who have hurt us or abused us. He's not only called, 
you and me, but he's also positioned us to be overcomers and to powerfully advance his kingdom. We are positioned. Do you realize we are already positioned? We're not trying to obtain a position, but he has already positioned us. He's already positioned us to walk powerfully in advancing his kingdom. And unfortunately to many of us Christians, that sounds like a fairy tale. Because we really don't believe it. We agree with it. We agree with it. But we really don't inside believe it. And that has to change. That has to change. You know, he's called us to change and dramatically impact our environments as well as those around us. He has called us to change and dramatically impact our environments and those around us. Do I need to switch mics or something? I feel like I'm way too loud. Am I, do I need to do anything? Am I good? Are you guys hearing me okay? Okay. It's just my hearing then. He's called us to change and dramatically impact our environment and those around us. And when we truly begin to believe what he says about us and agree with what he wants to do through us, then we will see amazing and powerful things happen around us. He's called us to dramatically impact our environments and those around us. But we have to re realize and, and believe who we are. I was discipling a young man in the county, Stillwater, or excuse me, Payne County Jail many years ago. His name was Sean. I'd go visit him and, and we would talk through the glass. And, and one time when I went to visit him, he was really distraught, really discouraged, wanted me to pray for him because he was, he was in a cell, sharing a cell with this guy who was really big and really scary. And he was terrified. And he's like, man, this guy's mean. I mean, it's like he didn't want to breathe. He was just afraid to get this guy's attention because he was, thought he was going to kill him. He's just very aggressive and scary. And this young Christian just needed to be reminded of who he was. I said, Sean, don't you realize that you have authority? He's like, what do you mean? I said, you have authority. Do you realize who's inside of you? Do you realize the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you? I said, you have been given authority to change the environment in that cell. Because greater is, you who is, in, greater is he who is in you than he who is in another person. The Holy Spirit in you is greater. He's the greater one. So if it's just you two in that cell, then guess who should be in charge? I said, here's what I encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to pray in your prayer language. Don't do it out loud. You might get beat up. That's not the goal here. I want you to pray under your breath in your prayer language, and I want you to begin to speak to the atmosphere because you're not speaking to that man, but you're speaking to the, the demonic forces that are influencing him. I said, so you begin to tell them, it's time for them to go. And you begin to declare that Jesus rules and reigns in this place. Now see, I'd never been in prison. I'd never been in that situation. So I never knew if it was going to work from experience in that situation. But I believed it would work because of who he is. And who he is in us. And so I said, you just begin to declare that Jesus is Lord and he is in charge. He's in control. 
I don't remember the time frame, but I do remember visiting him again. I visited him often. I remember visiting him again, and he said, guess what? I said, what? You're not going to believe this. He said, try me. He says, not only has everything changed in my cell, but me and this guy have become friends. He's beginning to ask me questions about God. And he can't read, so he asked me to read the Bible to him. We have been called to change the environment and influence the lives of people around us. He could have given in to fear, or he could have believed the lie that he, who in the world is he to make any difference? Or he could have just huddled in a corner and hoped to survive? But he was reminded of who he is. And from the position of who he is, he responded differently than he normally would have. One of my sons, <clears throat> talking to recently, a couple of weeks ago, and he was pretty distraught. He was frustrated, discouraged. He busted his shoulder pretty bad, and the the MRIs and everything, and the doctor said, you require surgery. And he said that it's going to you know, take a while to have the surgery, and then it's going to take a while to recover from the surgery. And he was talking months. And he's like, Dad, I can't do this. I'm going to lose my job. And he was discouraged. He was you know, if I lose my, I can't pay for my rent, I can't do this, and, you know, he was just tumbling down this, this train of thought, and he was talking about some other things in his life that he was really discouraged about. You know, when, it's interesting how when negative things pop up, we begin to see everything negative, and we begin to focus and meditate on that, that becomes our reality and our focus, and we begin to worship that stuff instead of him, and he was really discouraged. <clears throat> and I reminded him because he knows. He just needed to be reminded. I said, son, you need to speak life into your situation. This isn't the will of God for your life. You need to speak and declare what Jesus said about you and about the situation. You need to find the truth in the word and declare it. So he called me back a few days later because I think the day before he had just seen a doctor and surgery and then a couple days later, he's going to see the doctor again. And so he called me after that. He said, Dad, guess what? I said, what? I don't need surgery. Really? Yeah, I don't need surgery. I'll let, it's going to just take, um, I think he said, about a month of rehab. And the interesting thing was during this process, he, got, he was working a job that he loved. It was a really good job. But he got put on kind of the on hold list because he wasn't able to work because of his shoulder. And so being on that list means you don't get any hours, you're just kind of if they need you kind of thing. And the next step after that is you don't have the job anymore. So he's really concerned about that. Well, then he called me, I was talking to him two days ago, and he's got 30-something hours this week working the job. One of the bosses wants him to help her do another project. No more situation. And he's working another job. He's, you know, he has a little side business going. 
And the other circumstances he was talking about that he was really distraught about, they switched. I mean dramatically switched. And then he said, Dad, thank you for reminding me to speak life and to declare God's truth in the circumstances. He said, thank you for reminding me. He just needed to be reminded. See, a lot of times we, we just hopelessly get beat up and tossed around by life just thinking, well, it's the will of God, so I just endure. And we just put up and we endure things that God has no intention for us to put up with or endure. And we think that everything that comes my way is the will of God. See, we even think that death, well, it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So it must have been his time or her time or, you know, we're going to, we all have our time to die. And see, that right there is out of balance. Because otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said to go raise the dead. You ever thought of that? Why would he tell us to raise the dead if it's time for them to die? Once they die, they die. Remember how many people Jesus raised from the dead? The point I'm trying to make is when circumstances happen to us, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the will of God. And he's equipped us to do something about it, to be overcomers. Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, or mature, complete man, able also to bridle the whole body. Verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, or in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. There's a lot being said right here, but basically he's talking about how a little member of our body is directing our whole body. Just like, I know a lady who has horses. And there's this little piece of metal about that long that you can put in the mouth of one of these horses, about a thousand pound animal, and that little piece of metal can direct that thousand pound animal. Little piece of metal direct that big, that beast. And it's like they talk, and the words talks about a huge ship, a massive ship. Now they have these, these cruise ships that are like the size of cities. I mean, they're just crazy big. 
And in comparison, the rudder is extremely small, but yet that piece of metal or wood, depending on what kind of a ship, turns the whole thing. And it says, in the same way, our tongue, that unruly member, directs your life. That's what I was talking about earlier. How's your, how's your self-speak? Because this thing right here that you're talking that's, is directing your path. And then when you first read this, when it says, um, what does it say that? Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. <clears throat> Not sure what the verse is right away, but it talks about how it's unruly and no man can tame the tongue. It's in there somewhere. I just read it. And when I first read that, I was thinking, wow, does that mean that if it's saying no one can tame the tongue, does that mean we have no control over what we say? Is that a hopeless passage saying, sorry, this is just the way it is? Your tongue is an unruly member, it guides your path, and you can't do anything about it. Is that what that passage is saying? No, that's not what it's saying, because there are verses in the Bible that says, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. That's a command. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But if I can't control it, then how can I obey that command? So yes, we can Remember Holy Spirit? Remember him? See, man cannot control his tongue. I believe the Holy Spirit can. And see, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that begin to manifest in us and through us, one of them is self-control. That means I can self-control my tongue. And then I can obey the scripture when it says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying and gives grace to those who hear. So we've got to get control of this, and I believe it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. And what I want to talk about, I'm going to be <coughs> encouraging you to purchase this book. It's called Declarations by Steve Backlund. And by the way, this guy, along with his wife, will be coming to New Covenant Fellowship in October. But this is one of my favorite books. A couple of years ago, the Lord reminded me when I first became a Christian, uh, the man that led me to the Lord, his name was Don Averett. He discipled me for a short time. And one thing that I had learned under him was making declarations. And I remember there was this little booklet. It was full of scriptures, little scriptural passages. And it was like, instead of, um, it was like written in, in, is the first person when you say I? Is that first person? Okay, I always get first and third person mixed up. It's written in first person, so you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, stuff like that. And so I, I just began to, as I'm praying and everything, I would just pace back and forth in my room, and I'd make these declarations about myself. And I did that month after month, year after year, after year after year after year. And then years later, I just quit doing that. And the Lord reminded me two years ago, it's time to start declaring again. He reminded me of this truth that he built in my life. And I look back and I see that there's wonderful fruit, and I see that it's as a result of the declarations that I was making because my belief system changed. 
because of the truth that I was declaring and the truth that I was hearing as I was declaring. And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about biblical reasons to make declarations. I'm just going to talk about a few. This book shares 30, 30 uh, biblical reasons for uh, foundations for declarations. And I want to encourage you to buy this book. Um, I got these for about $12. I'm selling them for $10. Remember, we are a nonprofit organization. Just kidding. But I, I just want you to have these. I have some out there. I have these right here. You can get it. I, I believe you can get the Kindle version. It's about the same price. Uh, or maybe a little more expensive. But I just want you to read this book. It's a fast read. Most of us will read it in about 30 minutes. Because the truths in this book are so amazing. I'm going to talk about a few of these reasons. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, months ago in a sermon that I was preaching on um, inception, we're talking about being transformed being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Jesus says, do not be conformed to this world. Can I tell you something? You're either going to be conformed to this world or you're going to be transformed. You're not going to be able just to kind of hide in this in-between state. You're either going to be conformed to this world or transformed. And he wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, we know that we need to renew our mind by the word of God, correct? Correct. And praise God that because many of us are participating in that Wednesday uh, Foundation Series, more of us are reading our word, which is wonderful, and we need to continue to read our word. But just reading the word is not all that it's going to take for us to be transformed in our thinking. But reading the word is is the powerful beginning. Because not only do we need to read our word, but we need to confess the word. We need to speak the word that we're reading. You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? We believe that. Because when we hear the gospel, then we can receive it, we can embrace it, we can accept it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Well, do you think that would also apply if you're confessing the word of God to yourself? Faith is going to come by you hearing God's word. I mean, did you get that? As I'm confessing the word out loud, my faith is going to be increased because I hear the word preached. I'm hearing the word confessed. Are you with me? Did I lose you? It is important for us to confess the word. That is a a practical and intentional way to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Confessing is truth. Confessing is truth confessing his truth. See, my son had to just be reminded because he already knew the truth of who he is in Christ. So once he was reminded, then he began to declare the truth and then his circumstances began to conform to that truth. See, God's truth is above facts. See, a fact could be I'm sick. The fact is, I have this condition going on in my body, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sick. That's a fact. 
The truth is, by his stripes you were healed. The truth is, he paid for your sickness so you can be healed. And so what we need to do is agree with his word over the current situation and facts. I've shared this before, but years ago, I realized I had adult allergies. Never had them as a kid, or maybe I didn't know what they were, but as an adult, when I cut the grass, it's like I caught a cold every single weekend. I didn't know why I was catching a cold every weekend. Cut the grass, be congested, stuffy, runny nose, all that kind of stuff throughout the week. Weekend, it would go away, and when I cut the grass again, it would start all over again. This went on, it's like, what in the world? Then I realized what it was. And so then what I used to do then is I'd get one of those masks to cover my face so I can cut the grass, and as long as my face was covered, I was good. And then I think the Holy Spirit, pretty sure it was him, he says, are you going to put up with this? And then I realized, wait a minute, time out. Okay, allergies. I can continue to take Benadryl and be sleepy all the time, or I can agree with his word that says, by his stripes we were healed, and so I said, you know what? And so I began to agree with that. I began to confess that. I began to say, Father, thank you that I'm healed of this. And I began to confess that over and over and over and over. I'd cut the grass and get congested, same thing. Kept confessing it over and over and over. And then it got to whenever I would confess, this is what the Word says, I come into agreement with this, all of a sudden, I'd cut the grass and there'd be no symptoms. I'd forget to make those declarations and forget to do that and I would get those symptoms. So I began to do that over and over and over again. The next year, same thing, kept confessing. The following year, no more. That was several years ago. Haven't had any of those symptoms since. Another time I realized, and this was a very tragic thing, that I was lactose intolerant, which means when I'd eat ice cream, I'd get a stomach ache. That was horrible. I liked ice cream. And I remember I, and I didn't know what was going on because we drink 2% milk. I was okay. I'd eat ice cream, cramping, stomach ache, just horrible. And then I realized what was going on. And then I realized, I remembered the, the circumstances about the allergies. I said, I don't have to be lactose, lactose intolerant because of what his word says. I'm no longer lactose intolerant. I ate all the ice cream I want. Now, it may not be a good thing. But the point is, and, and there's been things in my life that I've come to agree with His Word. And that's the important thing. We have to agree with what His Word says. And so the first biblical reason why it's important to make declarations is because it's an intentional way to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's an intentional way confessing his word, agreeing with his word. Amen? Number two, Proverbs says, there's a power of life and death in the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Power of life and death in the tongue. I'm going to quote out of this book. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 18, 21. One of the greatest revelations we can ever get as we walk as believers is this. The tongue has power to release life wherever we go. Those who love this truth will speak intentionally and will eat the abundant fruit their past words or declarations have produced. If we believe Proverbs 18.21, we will speak on purpose. If we believe Proverbs 18.21, 
we will speak on purpose. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If we believe that, then we're going to intentionally speak on purpose. We will speak to others and to ourselves because we realize there's no such thing as the strong, silent, silent type of Christian. Life and strength are accelerated through declarations. Accelerated through declarations. You know, I used to, one of the things that I used to quote all the time is, I shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I will raise the dead because that's what Jesus told me to do. Storms have to obey my words. Tornado, tornadic storms have to obey my words. I just begin to confess these things over and over because it wasn't just coming in with something in my head and just making confession. It was what I saw as truth in the word. Remember Jesus spoke to the storm and it, the storm that was trying to kill them? Remember that? And what did Jesus do? He spoke to the storms and it became silent. Jesus said in John 14, 12, those who believe in me, the miracles that I do shall they do also. Was speaking to the storm, was that a miracle? Did Jesus do that? Do you believe in Jesus? So can you do that? I hope you're being provoked and challenged to move off the center of where you're at. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything I'm saying, but at least check it out in the Word before you dismiss it. Matthew 12, 37. It says, words propel us, or here's the the next biblical reason. Words propel us to experience all that Jesus has won for us. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 37. This verse is obviously not talking about being saved through godly speaking, but it does imply that our declarations will either restrict or bless our lives. Words in agreement with God's purposes will propel us into the abundant life Jesus promised us. Instead of setting up fences of limitations and restriction in our experience, what Jesus has caused being condemned, we will be, we will be able to enter into the realms of our salvation that, he, that we make declarations about. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no unwholesome word, or some translations say corrupt, and that word means rotten, just like rotten meat. Let no rotten word come out of your mouth but only words that will edify the hearers and give grace to those who need grace, those who are hearing. Let me ask you this question. I used to think this verse was only for when I'm talking to you, my words need to be seasoned with grace. They need to be that when you hear them, they're going to build you up and encourage you, right? And that is true. But that's not just for you, but it's also for me. In other words, my self-talk. Let no unwholesome self-talk come out of your mouth. Command right here. Let no unwholesome word 
So when I call myself an idiot, does the Lord call me an idiot? When I call myself a loser, does Jesus call me a loser? Stupid, never going to amount to anything. Is that what the Holy Spirit says about me? Who's smarter, me or God? Who's smarter, you or God? Who knows more about you, you or God? Who knows about your destiny, your future, the, everything that he has planned for you? Who knows more about that, you or him? So when are you going to quit contradicting him by your words? And when are we going to start coming into agreement with what he says? Today. Yes, thank you. Today, lies are going to be exposed and rejected. Truth is going to be realized and embraced. I need to repent. When I call myself stupid or a loser, whatever, I'm calling God a liar. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only words that are good for edification, which means to build up. And words that may impart grace. And I appreciate what my wife shared a couple of weeks ago. The definition for grace. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. My speech should be full of this stuff. Did you catch me on that? Grace turns your heart to Christ. It keeps you. It increases your faith. It increases your knowledge. It increases your affection. It kindles you to exercise virtues. He's saying, my speech needs to line up. It needs to encourage and build up. So I challenge you to check yourself speak. I challenge you on that. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Anxiety. Anxiety. We get anxious. We're meditating on, and we're confessing things. <coughs> we're going to die. We're going to get kicked out of our house. We're going to, you know, all these things, and we get anxious. Oh, no, my, my, my son is out past curfew. He's probably doing all this stuff. You know, we're just confessing and speaking all this stuff, and it's causing anxiety and fear. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, and I believe in that thanksgiving part, that's the part where we get to make confession. Father, I thank you. If I'm anxious about my financial circumstances, and I remember that the word says that God meets all my needs according to his riches and glory, and then so I remind God, Lord, I thank you that your word says that you're going to take care of me. And as I'm thanking him, I'm declaring God, you got this. Lord, you're going to take care of me. If it's because of a bad choice I made or a stupid uh, or uh, ignorant or a willful, dumb choice that I made and I get myself in this financial mess, 
I should repent, ask God forgiveness, plead for mercy. Lord, I got myself in a huge mess. Would you help me? And then ask for the wisdom. Okay, Lord, what do I do? What do I do to get out of this, this circumstance? Instead of calling myself an idiot, instead of and confessing all this stuff that causes anxiety. That's not what he says to do. Are you beginning to see how important our speech is? See, our tongue, your tongue is directing your life. It's not maybe, kind of, sort of, it is. It is directing the course of your life. I remember years, years ago, many years ago, I don't even remember if this, yeah, this sanctuary was built. I remember we're back over there in the, I was uh, in the youth sanctuary and it had the red carpet or the burgundy carpet, whatever color it was. Some of you remember that. And I remember just praying and just talking to the Lord. And he was beginning to expose some lies that I believed. Lies like I was thinking that because of my race, how I grew up, single parent home, black American, that I was, not, I was only going to be able to go so far. Or that I had been ripped off. That man, I got the short end of the stick. That there's no way I can be successful. There's no way all this stuff, I was believing this stuff. I don't know where it came from, but it was just coming up and the Lord was exposing it. And then something he showed me, he began to show me, is there is no limit in the kingdom of how high I want to go. No limit. In other words, the limits that we place on how grabbing all that Jesus has for us, we place those limits on ourselves. He said, you can have all you want in me. I don't think he was necessarily talking about, oh, okay, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to get all these things. But I began to grab a hold of the kingdom, and I began to see his promises. That, you mean I get to lay hands on the sick and see them healed? You mean I get to cast demons out of people? You mean I get to do this stuff? And I begin to confess what he said about me, and my thought process began to change. I quit seeing myself less a victim of my environment, my circumstances, and begin to realize that I'm a powerful young man, that God has created to do powerful things with him and for him. See, too many of us, we, we look at our circumstances and we want to play the victim and feel sorry for ourselves. And that's not a kingdom mentality. That can be a worldly mentality. Be conformed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I can choose to believe what the world may say about me, or I can be transformed into believing what the king says about me. And we realize this, this world is very limited. It's not going to last that long. But his kingdom is going to last forever. And I choose to build my identity on the kingdom of heaven. Not on being an African American. I'm a Christian first. I happen to be a black or African American Christian. But I'm a Christian first. 
That's what I'm building my foundation, my identity. And people may not like that or understand that. But I'm not doing things for people to understand or like. I want to please him. Again, I, I hope you're being challenged, provoked, encouraged to move off center. Because our self-speak is directing our paths. I'm going to share one more. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. The last biblical reason that I'm going to share on why it's important to, uh, to make declarations. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and... Er- <coughs> Excuse me, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So this reason is, it's a powerful way to engage in effective warfare. To engage in effective warfare. When I used to read this verse, these verses before, I used to think, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And I thought it was talking about we have these weapons so we can go cast out demons and go pull down strongholds of principalities and stuff. You realize that's not what it's talking about? Do you know what the warfare that it's talking about? Right here. Our thought process. The strongholds are the lies that we believe. Those strongholds are what the weapons of God are for to pull down those strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself. Arguments in our mind that argue against God's word. Those things, the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what comes out of your lips is what's in your heart. Your heart and your mind is all connected and stuff. So what's in there is going to come out. And what comes out is going to direct your path. So the change needs to happen inside here. It needs to happen in our hearts, our mind. Reading God's word, meditating on God's word, and confessing God's word. Confessing God's word. Confessing God's word. I'm going to share one more story. Next week, I'm going to take this to another level, but this week, it's about us. It's about we have to get our speaking in agreement with him so that we can begin to move and be transformed into the person he wants us to be. And next week, we're going to understand why it's so important because it's it's not just about us. Although it starts with us, my relationship with him, but he is concerned about the people out there. He's concerned and in love with the people in the world. And he's called you to make a difference out there. But if we're not being transformed in here and being conformed to his image, and we continue to believe and feed on the lies that I'm no good, I'm nobody, I can't make a difference and all that, then we're not going to do any good for anybody out there. You know, over the years, those of you who've uh, been on mission trips with me in the past. I've always had this thing of mosquitoes tore me up all the time. 
It's like I'd be the only one bitten. We'd be sitting around. I'm like, man, these mosquitoes are horrible. I'm looking at everybody else, and everybody else is not bothered at all. I'd wake up and have these knots all over my head. I guess maybe allergic reaction or something, but just huge welts from these mosquito nights or buffalo nights, whatever. And I just lived with that for years and years and years and years. I remember one time that I think the Lord was trying to give me a clue. I was in Africa. Mike Harper and I were in, in Kenya. And Joash took us way up into the mountains. We were in the bush. We were out there. And we were driving all day to go somewhere. I have no idea where we were. And we were up, way up in this mountain. We did a service, great service. And I didn't realize we were going to spend a night there, in that village up there. And so I was shown, this is your room, in a grass hut, dirt floor. No windows, which means no screens. I mean, there was windows, but no screens, no win, you know, I, don't, I couldn't close the windows or the screen to keep the mosquitoes out. And I sat on my bed and I realized, oh, when I sat on my bed and all of a sudden I got bit on my knuckle by a mosquito. I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be a long night. And the Holy Spirit said something else. He says, you don't have to put up with this. And I realized what he was saying, and I declared, I made this declaration. Mosquitoes, that was your last bite. No more. No more bites tonight. That was the only mosquito bite I got that night. The only. The next day, we go to another village, which is further down the mountain. This time after the service, we were staying in a, some kind of a concrete thing, a dome. I don't remember. This is crazy, but it was this concrete thing. And Mike and I, we, we had our separate cot of sleeping. I can't remember what we were sleeping on, but it was some kind of a little bed. But we shared a mosquito net. It went over both of our sleeping cots. So I'm good. I got a net. I don't need to pray. I got tore up that night. Mike Harper's laying next to me, shirt off because it's hot, doesn't get touched. <laughs> because it was so hot, I couldn't, and I had to cover myself, so I got the sheet and I wrapped myself up, and the only thing that I had open was that. My forehead was just tore up. And Mike wasn't touched. I was I said, man, weren't those mosquitoes horrible? He's like, I didn't get bit. So that's been my life all these years. Mosquitoes love me. Mosquitoes, and that's what I'd say. Man, mosquitoes just love me. Mosquitoes just love me. And then a couple of weeks, about three weeks ago maybe, we were somewhere having this conversation. And then my wife said, she said it to somebody. I can't remember who we were talking to. She goes, yeah, mosquitoes just love my husband. And when she said it, it's like I woke up, and I got angry. I think, what the heck? Why do mosquitoes have to love me? And then there was a conversation later about certain people's blood type. Mosquitoes are attracted to certain people's blood type. And I don't know what that is, O, positive, whatever, something. Well, by the time we had that conversation, something already happened. But when I got angry because when I realized, what, when she said that, not angry at her, but what I, the lie that I, I bought into why do I have to accept the fact that mosquitoes love me? 
When the Lord showed me that one time, when I took authority over those things, I didn't get bit one more time. All night, no protection. When I did have protection, I didn't pray, I got tore up. So I realized there's a supernatural element to this. So about three weeks ago, I said, I declared, no more. I am no more a a mosquito feast. Mosquitoes are not attracted to me, but they're repelled by me. Now, some of you may think I'm crazy, and that's okay. I hope you're challenged and encouraged to move off-center. Since that time, we've been in about three or four circumstances where we've been outside, and I hear people talking about getting bit by mosquitoes, not me. And I intentionally didn't put on any mosquito repellent because I'm going to try this thing out. Now, why am I saying all that? That's a crazy story. You don't have to believe me. That's okay. Just ask the mosquitoes. They'll tell you. They don't like, matter of fact, they think I'm nasty now. They don't like me anymore. You know? What? Oh, you know it's true. But here's my challenge, and here's my encouragement to you. Your speech directs your path, James chapter 3. So now that you know that, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Going to continue just to flow down that easy path? Or say, God, I want what you died for. He's only glorified when we walk in what he made provision for. He's not glorified when we leave his provision alone. Because when people see our good works, they glorify him. We are, just like Pastor Dale said a couple, was it last, I think it was last week, when he was talking about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he talked about the supernatural element that we have. We are to be supernatural people. So as I'm sharing some of these things, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be crazy. It shouldn't be unbelievable. We're a charismatic church. You remember that? We believe in the gifts. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. We believe in that thing. But at times, us charismatics can be the greatest critics. Because our belief and our experience don't match. And then we say, well, the word says, I shall lay hands on the sick, or the word says this, but I'm not seeing it happen. And there's this dissonance, and we don't know what to do with it. So we hold on to the belief agreement, but we're not walking in the experience, so it's not in here. So I want to challenge you. Let's rise up and be who we are, who we've been called to be. And let's let his word become our experience. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do in closing. <clears throat> Declarations, it's not a magic formula. It's not a magic trick. I know that it has... has had a bad reputation of, you know, being, oh, it's just a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it doctrine or heresy or whatever. And I was going to share something on that, but I ran out of time. But just because the truth of God's word has been abused doesn't mean we throw the truth away. You know that speaking in tongues has been abused? But I'm not giving up my tongues. Sorry. Can't have them. You can have them from him, but you ain't getting mine. 
And so just because a truth has been exaggerated or been abused or whatever, we can't throw, as they say, the baby out with the bathwater. But we have to ask the Holy Spirit to protect us from the exaggerations and the error and all that kind of stuff, but embrace the truth. And we know God's word has a lot to say about our confession. And so here's my challenge to you. We can agree with this and say, that's good. Be hearers of the word and forget all about it when we walk out the door. Or we can make a conscious commitment that, you know what, I'm going to begin to actively pursue engaging confession, declaration, and doing some practical things about it. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you if you are saying, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to begin to move in changing my speech. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. These books that I have for sale are a practical tool to encourage you in this whole thing. doesn't mean you have to buy the book to be able to do it right. It's not what that means. It's just a practical encouragement. But what I want to do is encourage you to get a sheet of paper or a type or whatever when you get home. And I want you to begin to type out 10 declarations about you. 10 declarations about you. And then put them on your bathroom mirror. And then every day before, after you're brushing your teeth or shaving or whatever, you make those declarations. You confess those about yourself. I'll talk more about that next week. That's my challenge. Father, we thank you that you've done so much for us to be overcomers. You've done so much for us to grab a hold of everything that Jesus made available And we agree and we say, yes, Father, we want what you have. We're going to aggressively and violently grab a hold of the kingdom. And we're ready not to to no longer let our speech just lead us down this crazy, horrendous, negative path. But we're going to choose to agree by our confession with what your word says about us and about our circumstances. I thank you for grace that you're pouring out on us now to make this a reality in our lives, to embrace this. And I thank you, Father, that this church is full of people who are going after your kingdom and we will make a difference in our community. People's lives will be changed for you because of the commitment that we're making today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.